Hey everybody, I'm Logan Camden. I'm Carson Brabber. And this is Nerd Sesh. No! Oh my God, how could he do that? Are you on Don't What? Charles Darwin. All right, so today on Nerd Sesh, we are diving back into sports history, which is something that we haven't been able to do for a bit since... Uh, the NBA came back. We've been really doing a one-show-a-week schedule, but Logan Camden got the day off work at Lowe's, so we're going to take advantage of that and do an episode on the top 10 scores in NBA history, which I think is a really fun one, but it's also a pretty difficult one because there are a bunch of factors that go into this. Obviously, you have to think about someone's bag, if you will, the variety of ways in which they can score, who do you want in the last-second situation, and of course, numbers come into it in a big way, but it's hard to only rely on numbers because pace changes by era, efficiency changes by era, league-wide scoring changes by era. You know, 1961-62, Wilt's 50-point season, Elgin Baylor's 38-point season, teams averaged 118.8 points per game on 42.6% shooting, and that was without a three-point line. And then, you know, you go to Kobe's peak scoring season in 05-06, he's averaging 35.4 a game, but... League-wide, teams are scoring 97 a game. And now we're back up at the highest scoring numbers we've seen since the 60s, basically. So, obviously, context is important, and that's something that I'll bring into some of my things. But, Logan, I don't know if you have any thoughts before we get started with your number 10. Uh, no, I'm ready to get started. Uh, my number 10 is Tracy McGrady. And T-Mac is a guy that I thought I would leave off my list just because his peak wasn't nearly as long as some of the other guys. But... When I looked at some of the guys who barely missed my list, and I'm going to go over uh, go over some of the guys that barely missed it, Jerry West, Elgin Baylor, Rick Barry, all did not make my list. Uh, mo- purely because of the era, all of their individual numbers are impressive, but I feel like because Tracy played in an era with the three-point line, I would go with T-Mac because he's a modern guy, and I can... I can look at his three-point numbers. Uh, T-Mac led the league in scoring twice. He also led the playoffs in scoring twice per game. Uh, he had one season over 30 points per game, four, four other seasons over 25. And I really valued playoff points per game because when we come down to it, the most important aspect of basketball is when we get into title time. Mm-hmm. Now, Tracy never had that dominant playoff he didn't have a dominant playoff run team-wise, but individually he had four playoffs where he averaged over 30 points per game and another two playoffs where he averaged over 25 points per game. Obviously, limited appearances because of team success. Um, and then another stat I looked at was 30 point per game per 36 season, like for, per 36 stats uh, if they were over 30 points per game. Uh, T-Mac didn't have any of those, so he's a little lower on my list because if you average, in my opinion – uh, that was a big stat to me, the 30 points per game per 36, because it just means that you're nearly a point a minute. That's impressive. Yeah. Yeah. And then I wanted to look at how hot guys could get streak-wise game to game. T-Mac had 14 straight 30-point games. Not nearly as impressive as some of the other guys on my list who will get up there, but I felt uh, with T-Mac's peak leading the league in scoring twice and then the playoffs as well, I felt Tracy deserved a spot on my list over the likes of some of these older era guys, like I said, like Jerry West and Elgin Baylor. Well, if you look at T-Mac's resume, of course, he's a seven-time All-Star. He's a seven-time All-NBA player. And that's basically entirely predicated upon how dominant he was as a scorer. The issue is he doesn't have anything close to a peak season outside of that. He has one more pretty good year in Houston that's outside of that range. And then he never reaches that level again. And before he reached that peak, he was a role guy in Toronto for the most part. I think if you're talking about 
pure scorers. T-Mac, just as far as skill set, has to be brought up in this conversation. A sixth guy who can handle like that, who can shoot like that, who can beat you on all three levels, who at his peak was a freak athletically. You know, my brother's very upset with me about this because Tracy McGrady is probably his favorite player of all time. He's not on my list. When you were going over, like, like guys like Tracy McGrady, guys whose peaks weren't as long, where did you value, I guess, injuries and peak and stuff like that? Where did you factor that into your argument? Um, I don't think that longevity is the number one factor. I think that peak is more important because if you score a bunch of points, but you're just a pretty good scorer forever, that's not really an indication of who the best scorers are. For the most part, it's who are you most terrified at the peak of their powers. And then longevity comes into it as sort of a secondary thing for me. Um, but I'm not sure that I would put T-Mac there even for peak. And the reason for that is compared to some of the, these other guys, he's obviously not the most efficient, 43.5% from the field, 33.8% from three. I think he would have been better served if he played in the modern era. I think that there would have been much more of a priority for him on, you know, mastering the pull-up three, the step back. I think he would have had an even filthier bag than what we saw from him, where he also had a bit of a post game just because that was a thing uh, in the 2000s. And it really isn't for a guy of his size anymore, unless your name is Kawhi Leonard, basically. But T-Mac is not on my list. My number 10 is someone who aesthetically does not compare as a scorer. And for that reason, I think that a lot of people wouldn't necessarily think of him on this list. But then again, if you think of his value as a player, so much of it comes from his unstoppable scoring ability. And my number 10 is Shaquille O'Neal, who is eighth all-time in points, 23.7 points per game in his career on 58% from the field, 53% from the line, 58.6% true shooting, which is, I mean, a very good number. Pretty funny, though, because it's basically exactly the same as his field goal percentage because his free throw shooting doesn't help him there. He's a two-time scoring champ, had 10 straight seasons averaging 25-plus points per game, averaged 20-plus points per game in his first 14 seasons. He's a 10-time leader in field goal percentage, so incredibly efficient there. The counterargument to this would be, well, of course, some people I'm sure would say he doesn't have the bag, he doesn't have the skill set. That to me is, I understand when you're thinking of pure scores, if you think of someone like T-Mac or AI first, but um, as far as effectiveness, Shaq is really one of the best of all time. And I think that when we're going to throw a guy like Wilt Chamberlain in there, presumably, so much of his dominance was predicated upon being able to just overpower people physically. And yes, he also had his patented fadeaway and all that. But Shaq, to me, was so dominant, so imposing. The downside is he can't close games for you. Uh, and that's where he was certainly aided by having a guy like Kobe Bryant alongside him in his peak and then Dwayne Wade in their 2006 title run. But uh, the reason that Shaq ended up going on my list is really because of his finals performances. 28.8 points per game on 60% shooting over his six finals appearances. And if you look at him at his true peak, 2000 through 2002, he averaged 38 a game in the 2000 finals. He averaged 33 a game in the 2001 finals. He averaged 36 a game in the 2002 finals. That's an average of 35.9 over three series. His playoff averages overall, 24.3, doesn't quite compare. But I do think that that is telling of a guy who, for a lot of his career, as incredible as he was, wasn't giving 100% for the most part. If you look at really probably the only season he was giving 100%, it was that 2000 season where the Lakers once went 67-15. and 15. He won almost unanimous MVP, and then he averaged 38 a game in the finals. But I think that the fact that he was just physically unstoppable and that when he wanted to, he could go out there and get 40-20, and 20, 
Now, the 20 doesn't factor into this, but the 40 does. I ended up having to put Shaq on my list, but it left me with some really tough cuts. This was, I left some names off this that really hurt. That surprises me that you have Shaq on the list. You made a good point. You phrased it well by saying aesthetically pleasing because mm-hmm. when I think score, I don't think Shaq. But exactly. production-wise, Shaq produced on the floor. So I applaud you for taking the, I guess, the risk of, of getting Shaq on the list when that's probably not going to be well-received. Thank you, I, I just don't I think by, by, by uh, I don't know, I guess uh, fans as a whole. Yeah. Well, my thought process is kind of, if we agree that Shaq is a top 10 player of all time, and by far his best skill set is scoring. And obviously he's a, he's, a, you know, he's a beast on the boards, but it's not like he was an all-defense level player for most of his career. What, what he was was an unstoppable scorer. So even if he doesn't look like T-Mac or look like AI, if he does it more efficiently, if he does it with better volume, more consistently in the biggest spots, it's kind of hard to leave him off. So let's move on. Who is your number nine? Uh, number nine is a guy I questioned if I would have him on my list at all, and it's surprising. Uh, it's the NBA's all-time leading scorer. I have Kareem Abdul-Jabbar at number nine, and it may surprise you that I have him this low, but I feel that just with the modern era and how the game has changed, I couldn't put Kareem – the dominance in the post, and don't get me wrong, straight out of the – straight out of college, he was the entire offense for Milwaukee. I mean, he bursted out the gates averaging uh, 29, 32, and then 35 points a night. And then fit into an offense a little bit better, but he never lost that scoring. Uh, statistically, the number that got Kareem on my list for sure was that he's a five-time league leader in playoff points per game, which is important. He can carry an offense in the playoffs whenever. And, of course, in that era, dominated by post players, Kareem was the best. Uh, he had four seasons over 30 points per game, six another six over 25. And then in the playoffs, four playoffs where he averaged over 30 points per game and then another seven over 25. Um Kareem is not really the typical, like you said with Shaq, when you think pure scores and talent-wise, I don't think most people would immediately go to even a guy like the all-time leading scorer for the NBA in Kareem just because his game was so much predicated on post-hooks and post-moves and size, dominance down there. But I, I don't know. To me, there were more impressive skill-wise and talent players in Kareem, especially now that we're seeing the three-point line. Although, in that same breath, I do have Wilt Chamberlain quite high on my list. Yeah, that's the thing for me. That's the consistency of if we're all going to put Wilt up there, then we have to acknowledge all of these imposing big men in that same regard. And to me, Kareem is uh, better than Wilt. He's higher up there for me. And I think that you're talking about a guy who at his best was unstoppable. And by the time he was 40, still had an unstoppable move. The sky hook, his release point is at the rim. No one can contest that. And it's one of the most incredible shots ever. It is the greatest shot ever. And that alone allowed him to be effective until he was 40. So yes, you have young Kareem, who's also a freak athlete, but you talk about a guy who was dominant in the biggest spots. I think about the 1980 finals before he got hurt when he's averaging 34 and 14. I mean, the guy was as sure of a thing as a scorer as you could ever see. My number nine is a guy who's right up there in the all-time scoring list. I have Carl Malone, who is the number two scorer of all time and who I thought about leaving off my list entirely. But I think that the production is really too overwhelming to leave off here. You're talking about a guy that had the ultimate longevity, but career average of 25 a game on 52% shooting, 74% from the field, 58% true shooting which, you know, combines your efficiency from the field from three and from the free throw line. 
averaged 25 plus 12 times, 20 plus 17 times. And for me, that's just too much to deny entirely. But the reason I wouldn't have it higher is for a couple, uh, he's not exactly the kind of guy who can take over the game in the same way as someone like a James Harden or a Kobe Bryant, someone who's you, some people might argue is in that same tier as far as true all-time scoring level. Uh, obviously he couldn't, right? He was a guy that was dependent on playing out of the pick and roll and out of the post for most of his career. But even then, he didn't have that same wilt level upside for single game scoring uh, for the most part, I would say. Did get to the line a lot, which certainly helps with that. But really the issue for me was, even though this is a guy who still averaged 27.6 a game in the playoffs at 37 years old, that's ridiculous. Career playoff averages, Definitely worse than the regular season, though. 24.7 a game on 46% from the field. To be shooting 46% from the field, considering the kind of shots that Carl Malone was taken, taking, not great for your raw scoring numbers to go down in the playoffs, just generally because guys are playing more minutes for the most part. Also not great. And then in the finals, 19.6 points per game on 46% from the field, 67.5% from the free throw line. That's slightly unfair because... Part of that comes from his third finals appearance with the Lakers in 2004. But even then, he was unjustifiably bad because he had averaged 13 a game in the regular season. And even though he's 40 years old, and that, of course, is impressive, that's the expectation you're held to. Then he played 31 minutes a game in the finals and averaged five points per game. So he's a guy who, you know, didn't average 25 a game in either of his finals with the Jazz. And it's tough to sort of, where do you blur the line between a big-time clutch performer and someone who's just a great scorer. But at the end of the day, if you aren't the kind of guy who can take over a game on command like that, are you really one of the absolute greatest scorers of all time? So I was closer to leaving Carl Malone off this list entirely than I was to putting him higher, even though the numbers are so overwhelming. It surprises me that you have Malone on this list because when I think of Carl Malone, I think of a player whose game is almost prehistoric in – uh, and I don't mean that as in Malone just wasn't, uh, he didn't have the size of a Shaq. He didn't have the size of a Kareem. Mm -hmm. And so much of his game was, I guess, predicated on post play and him being six foot nine. I don't know. I think with the modern era and guys just have de de deeper skill sets than Carl. But I mean, here's what I'm going to say. There are always people with superior skill sets. Kevin McHale might have the best, probably is the best post moves of all time. Kevin McHale's not going to be on this list. It's to me about judging people compared to their contemporaries and really the effectiveness of what they did. Carl Malone was a bulldog down there. He was so strong. And for 20 years, the Stockton Malone pick and roll was as sure of a bucket as you were going to get. And so even though he's not as exciting, not as aesthetically pleasing, he was damn good at what he did. So he has to be here for me. Although he actually doesn't have to be here, but he ended up here. Uh, let's move on to your number eight, Logan. Of all the guys, Kevin McHale. Uh, this <laughs> I'm just saying, a, uh, he was <laughs> dirty out of the post. Uh, this provides a nice segue. Uh, my next player was a guy who was coached by uh, Kevin McHale. Uh, I have James Harden number eight. And purely number-wise right now, because most of my uh, argument and list was based on uh, career numbers, mm -hmm. Harden is going to move up on this list. It'd be ignorant to say he's not. Uh, I can see Harden moving into the top five. Watching him in person at a Suns game was unreal. I know for you and me, James Harden's game is 
it's stupid. It doesn't make any sense how he makes the shots he does. Yeah. Uh, statistically, a 44% shooter from uh, the field and 36 from deep. The knock on Harden for, I guess, being on this list early is he hasn't done enough in the playoffs. Yeah. And it's not like he hasn't been unimpressive. We just have not seen the Rockets go deep, and I really need to see Harden carry an offense deeper into the playoffs for him to move up higher. A three-time league leader in uh, regular season points per game. Uh, these past three seasons have all been over 30 points, and he has five other seasons over 25. In the playoffs, two playoffs uh, over 30 points per game, and this these numbers blew me away. And I knew that Harden always had this ability, and I remember when they put this stat on like ESPN – 32 straight 30-point games for James Harden. That is an unreal streak in the modern era. It's just mm-hmm. something that you don't see anymore. I, I think Harden is by far the best scorer in the NBA today. Um, you could maybe argue Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, but with health concerns, I'd go Harden all the way, especially what we've seen from this season. Uh, I'm, I'm intrigued to hear what you uh, if you have Harden on your list or if he's higher. Well, Logan, I have James Harden at number eight as well. I think that As you say, he will absolutely shoot up higher. It's just about doing it for a little bit longer. But when you're talking about, first of all, his raw production in Houston, because 25.2 points per game in his career, um, which is slightly unfair to him, because for his first three years in Oklahoma City, he was obviously coming off the bench. And that happens for a couple guys. But when you're, you know, only 31 years old or whatever, it it unfairly affects your numbers, I would say. In Houston... Eight seasons, 29.6 points per game. And he is just reaching his peak right now. Current five-year stretch, he's in 31.7 points per game. And it's remarkable what he has done. He has engineered an unstoppable move of his own that is changing the sport to me as much as Steph Curry because what the Rockets are doing with with D'Antoni and Daryl Morey, it's something that other teams look at and they can say, that's more attainable. We don't have a Steph Curry. You know, we can't pretend that we can create a Steph Curry, but can we get four good shooters to put around our great scorer who works so hard on developing one move that opens up everything? Maybe it's not easy to do, but the number says, you know, the numbers say it's what you should at least try to do. Of course, though, the issue with Harden and the reason that we can't, that I can't have him higher right now is even though he has almost developed a cheat code mathematically of shooting this unstoppable three only taking threes and shots at the rim, getting to the line as much as he does, manipulating officials and drawing fouls as much as he does, many of which are legitimate, many of which also are not, but even the revelation to kick your leg out on threes just to try to get a foul there or to make it very obvious when your landing space has been infringed upon. There are so many things that he does that just make getting those points so easy, which is why he's still really efficient. 61% true shooting you know, obviously the raw field goal percentage won't do it justice because he's taking so many threes, but he gets to the line a bunch and obviously he's great there. The issue is 23 a game in the playoffs on 42% from the field, 33% from three in his career. Again, that's slightly unfair, but even just in his time in Houston, down over a full point per game to 28.4 on 41% from the field, 32% from three. And I think what we've always seen with Harden is when you get into the playoffs, the game stops being a math equation and you need to be able to use that mid range and you need to be willing to adjust. And he has never been able to do that. And he's also always fatigued and worn down. You're talking about a guy who in the last three seasons has had a 60 plus point game in each one. And he's never had more than 45 in the playoffs. Obviously points are harder to come by in the playoffs, but that's a huge disparity. 
for a guy who is who almost averaged 40 a game for you know a month and a half of this season who averaged 36 a game last year and he hasn't been able to hit that 50 mark in the playoffs just because his style is not as conducive to playoff bucket getting so maybe his ceiling is here because when I think about the guys I have above him those are dudes who did it in the biggest spots over and over again, especially the guy I have immediately above him. And James Harden does not have that on his resume. And Harden in the playoffs, refs are just not going to give you the same calls you're going to get in the regular season. Obviously, exactly. his game is so much built on free throws. Mm-hmm. He's just obviously not going to score as much. Exactly. And the free throw, even this year already, the free throw attempts are down like two and a half from the regular season. It happens every single year. His free throw attempts go down in the playoffs. His efficiency goes down. And for the most part, his raw scoring goes down as well. So let's move on. Uh, I do think that we need to acknowledge that this stretch Harden's in right now is absolutely historic, even with the offensive explosion in the NBA right now. It's like nothing we've seen since probably Jordan, or if you consider the era that Kobe was playing in and just how low scoring it was, maybe Kobe. Number seven, who do you have? Uh, I got Iceman, uh, George Gervin at number oh, seven. I love it. I think Gervin is... I think Gervin is criminally underrated in circles now just because he spent, you know, so much of his time in the ABA and, you know, so many people just don't talk about him as much. Uh, 50% from the field is what blows me away uh, for George Gervin, a shooting guard slash small forward who is six foot six, six foot seven, and can shoot 50% from the field. Obviously newer numbers, shooting guards and small forwards are never going to come close because they shoot way too many threes. Gervin shot 27% from deep, obviously nowhere near as big the sample size, but a four-time league leader in points per game in the regular season. He led the NBA in playoff points per game five times in the ABA, another one time, uh, two seasons over 30 points per game. And Gervin had two of those 30 point per game per 36 seasons, which just means unconscious scoring. And Gervin had this uncanny ability to just get to the rack and you couldn't, you weren't going to stop him. He had the finger roll. You, he was getting his buckets. He could. He was an unprecedented athlete. I think more people need to, more people need to talk about George Gervin. We need some. I need some George Gervin highlights right here. Logan, I could not agree more with you. And he was, I would say, my toughest omission from this list. I came into this so sure that I was going to have George Gervin because the four scoring titles, his five-year peak, he's at twenty-nine point eight a game. Playoff career averages higher than regular season over 27 a game in the playoffs. If you take away two games, he played for Chicago when he was an old man. He didn't score in either of them, played 11 total minutes. Led half of the playoffs he played in in points per game, six of 12. The dude was on another level. And I think that if you look at the era he played in, he is the greatest scorer of that era. I take him over Dr. J. I take him over Rick Barry. He is remarkable what he was able to accomplish with that consistency and doing it in the playoffs. His teams never made the finals, but they did make a couple Western conference finals or Eastern conference finals. And then one Western conference finals. Cause for whatever reason, the Spurs were in the Eastern conference and he was remarkable in all of those runs. The reason that I ended up leaving him off is when I was comparing him to a guy like Shaq who has the resume and it's tough because you can't just use total points as the single factor and you can't just use points per game as the single factor because obviously the longer you play, the more your total points go up, the more your points per game go down. I just think with a guy like Shaq, what he was able to do 25, 25 plus for 10 straight seasons, 20 plus for 14 and that finals dominance or a guy like Carl Malone 
who, um, you know, just as far as the regular season was so consistent and close to unstoppable. What I will say, Logan, and now that I'm thinking about this, as much as I love the Iceman, you can't have him over Harden. What Harden is doing is on another level of historic. I mean, the man averaged 36 a game last year. And yes, this is an inflated scoring era a bit, but good God. What, what, why you have Gervin over Harden would be my question. Gervin over Harden is the sole reason that I feel like Gervin I, – I, he didn't win a title. I feel like he did more than the playoffs. Harden has yet to lead the playoffs in points per game. Yeah. And if Harden had even done it once, I would have had Harden higher on my list. But for the pure fact that he's never led any play – and Gilbert Arenas did it in 06, which yeah. Gilbert played seven games. You're telling me James Harden can't lead playoffs in scoring for seven games and yeah. then get taken out? I, I thought that was the – sold this uh, disparity between uh, Gervin and Harden. Well, that is a telling statistic when you're talking about a guy whose entire offense is predicated upon, I have the ball the entire game. I shoot, I shoot as many times as I want. I get to the foul line as many times as I want. And he just hasn't been able to replicate in the playoffs. So I guess I shouldn't have said you can't have Gervin over him, but it's a really difficult selling point for me just because this five-year stretch that Harden's on is so unbelievable, but I love the Iceman. And if you're talking about aesthetics, he's easily above Shaq. I mean, the finger roll, obviously, is a thing of beauty, which he pioneered and popularized in basketball. Um, and he was able to use it in a way where it was really practical. It wasn't just – that's what's so incredible about it is now it's become a purely aesthetic move, basically. He was actually using it as a way to get the ball – to keep the ball away from rim protectors and to get it in there with touch. So – the dude was just an absolute beast. My number seven is Jerry West, who I really considered having one spot higher. And I'll get into that whole debate I had there. And you're going to be shocked that I was even considering putting him above who I was considering putting him above. But I do think that Jerry West is in that Gervin tier of underrated players. And it's brutal just because he only has the one title to show for it. You know, if he goes three for nine, in finals, he's really, really on the verge of being a top 10 player of all time. He's probably still my number 11, but 27 points per game on 47.4% from the field, 81% from the line, 55% true shooting, which is incredible for that era when you consider he was a guard who didn't have a three-point line. The average field goal percentage when he entered the league was 41.5 because this was an era when the pace was so incredibly high Dudes were just putting up shot as, shots as fast as they can, and they were missing a lot. I think about a guy like Bob Cousy, who's the best point guard of the 50s and into the 60s for a bit of it, and he was shooting in you know, 36 37% for his career. That was slightly up by the time that Jerry West came into the league, but 41.5% league-wide. That's including centers and big men. And then you look at what he comes in for his career as a guard, shoots above 47%. Just to pick out one season, 64-65. The league average field goal percentage, 42.6. As a guard, Jerry West shot 49.7%. So the efficiency stands out to me. He had 11 straight seasons averaging 25-plus, four seasons averaging 30-plus. In the playoffs, 29 points per game on 47% from the field. He's a four-time playoff point-per-game leader. 64-65 postseason, averaged 40.6 a game, and they made the finals that year. And then, of course, what he's most famous for is his ability to do it in the biggest spots, to carry his teams in the finals, even if they couldn't win. 30.5 points per game on 46% from the field, 83% from the line, 
across his long finals career. That's from nine different finals appearances. In the 69 finals, averaged 38 a game over seven games. And of course, that's when he won finals MVP, but didn't win the title. He had 53 in game one, 40 in game four, 39 in game five, 42 in game seven. He was a guy who never didn't show up. He got better in the best spots. And basically the only logical reason I could bring myself to not have him one spot higher is slight error inflation as far as points per game, which I will get into because again, you know, the, he was around for 12 of like the 15 highest paced seasons in league history. Maybe not exactly that, but this was really an exceptionally, I shouldn't even say high pace because I think that's slightly unfair because guys were shooting worse from the field. So if the pace is higher, that doesn't necessarily mean that they were scoring more, but they were scoring more. It was, it was actually 12 of the 15 highest scoring or something around there. Um, so Jerry West has to be here for me. He has the iconic big game performances and the regular season consistency to uh, make him a must have for me. Carson, you just spit. <laughs> I should have had, I, I mean, after that, I'm thinking, how did I even put Tracy McGrady on my list? That was, that was great. Yeah. And I don't, you, I'm looking at the numbers too. Seven playoffs over 30 points per game is stupid. Uh, another yeah. in 1965, 40 points per game in the playoffs. And of course, all the finals appearances. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna uh, redact my Tracy McGrady pick <laughs> immediately. Right. Let's get Jerry West on there. I mean, I think what's interesting, Logan, is when we're talking about these lists, we have a tendency to think of guys who are sort of iconic scorers, like a Tracy McGrady, like an Allen Iverson, like even a George Gervin, who I love and I would have loved to have on this list, but I had to barely leave him off. But a lot of the times, the reason people become quote unquote iconic scorers is because they had shortcomings in the rest of their games. And a lot of the players who are top 10 guys of all time are on that level as scorers, if not better. They just also happen to be better at everything else. And, I mean, it's really hard to become an all-time great player without also being an all-time great scorer. That's what it comes down to. So let's move on to your number six. Who do you have? Uh, my number six is a guy uh, you just mentioned. I have Allen Iverson at six. And – uh, I can see people maybe making the case for Harden over AI. AI has just had more playoff success. He got to the finals and drug a, I mean, ugly, ugly Sixers team to the finals and was their entire offense. Uh, led the league in scoring four times, uh, led the playoffs in scoring twice, five seasons over 30 points per game, another six over 25. Uh, in the playoffs, four different seasons of 30 points per game. Uh, and his streaks, not as impressive as other guys. I And the reason I keep bringing up streaks, Wilt's numbers are stupid when it comes to streaking, obviously, by pace. Uh, AI, eight straight 30 points per game, five straight 40-point game, uh, games, and then two straight 50-pointers. Uh, AI just knew how to get buckets, and I wish that – I wish the stereotypical argument – I wish that AI was six foot five because he may have been the greatest scorer of all time. Um, stupid quick, had such a great handle, just knew how to score. And you mentioned shortcomings in their games. I mean – it's not like AI was a dominant defender. Yeah, AI got steals, and I think mm -hmm. that's maybe why people remember him as being such a great scorer. But I felt it was a necessity with what he did with that Sixers team to bring them to the finals with nobody else around him. Mm -hmm. I felt it warranted a spot, at least on my list. Well, Logan, Allen Iverson is not on my list. And I think that that's probably going to be the most shocking decision that, uh, that I make for the American populace. And the reason behind that is basically 
that yes, of course, I mean, what he did in the 01 postseason, absolutely ridiculous. Averaging 33 a game with that ragtag squad alongside him and taking them to the finals, putting up the 48 burger and beating the 01 Lakers in game one, absolutely ridiculous. The man had a will to score like almost no one in history. What he also had, though, was the ridiculous confidence to shoot every single time. And at the end of the day, the man shot 40% from the field in the playoffs. And yes, he was an absolute bucket getter. And it's not like I wouldn't have him sniffing my list, but I, I didn't have him on my list because I just felt like, you know, of course he has the ability to go crazy on any given night, but more than anything, it's just the man was so willing to shoot and to take that physical bruising over and over again. And that's part of being a scorer, absolutely. But when you can average 31.4 points per game on 39.8% from the field in one season where he's playing 44 minutes a game, how much of that is real scoring ability versus just willingness to shoot and to play as hard as you can and get as many minutes as you can? And I'm not going to act like he doesn't have one of the nastiest handles ever and like he wasn't a freak athlete and like he wasn't a genius mid-range shot maker and finisher around the rim. Of course, not a great three-point shooter. I don't really ever hold that that much against guys if they're playing in the pre you know 2010s era just because people didn't understand the value of that shot however he was incredibly inefficient from two-point range as well and I couldn't really criticize someone for having him here but I think that sometimes we romanticize him because of the 0-1 playoff run you know it's not like he ever carried a team like that again he won like three other playoff series in his entire career and that's not what it is to be a scorer. To be a scorer is not to be a winner. The, he's higher on my all-time scores list than he is on my all-time winners list or all-time players list, certainly. But he's still not on my all-time top time scores list just because aesthetically, skill set-wise, obviously he's on a different level from Shaq. But if Shaq can get me 38, 33, 36 a game in the finals incredibly efficiently, then I just think that that's something that I want more on my team. I think AI is going to stand the test of time. I, I knew that the efficiency the efficiency argument is there for a lot of the smaller guys. You could make an efficiency argument against Harden if you wanted. Um, AI is much worse. I'm not yeah. comparing the two. But I think the reason that AI will stand the test of time is because he retired so early and told every team, I refuse to sit the bench. That 26.7 point per game average is going to stick around while yeah. other guys slowly tick down. That's why I think he may be slightly overvalued in 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 the history books when people just look on basketball reference and see it and they'll slightly overvalue him it's that and he'll also be overvalued because he's sick he's an incredible player if you're going to watch a highlight reel there's not many you take over Allen Iverson if you're talking about a cultural icon there's not many names that come up before Allen Iverson so it's the legend and the aura that surrounds him and also you're right he never let it get bad really his last great season was probably when he was 31 and then he just didn't really stick around after that or maybe 32 only played a couple more seasons so um ai not on my list my number six is kobe bryant and i mentioned that it was incredibly i know shocking in itself and i mentioned that it was incredibly difficult for me to decide between him and my number seven jerry west here's the resume for kobe he's the number four scorer of all time 25 a game for his career on 45 33 84 splits 55 percent true shooting 13 straight seasons averaging 24 plus points per game at one point, 30, point per, 30 points per game three times. He's a two-time scoring champ. Obviously the 0506 season, which is insane. 35.4 points per game uh, 
averaged over 40 in two different months in a slow era of basketball. He got 66 times. He, in the playoffs, 25.6 a game on 45, 33, 82, a three-time playoff point-per-game leader. Final stats, not quite as great because he had a couple times when he underperformed in his first go-around with Shaq, especially, I think, of his first finals against Indiana when he's only 21 years old, so you can't hold him against him that much. But he also, you know, only averaged like 15 and a half a game and definitely was below his regular season expectations. That's not like that's a big factor in my ranking of him at all, but it did happen. But then you look at what he did in 2009, 2010, and he carried that team offensively as a scorer. So obviously he has incredible longevity, the raw numbers, and Logan seems to have, seems to have left the screen. And I believe that that's in protest of where I have Kobe Bryant placed. But let me just say this. Oh, he's going to put on the Kobe jersey. Okay, understandable. What makes Kobe's numbers so impressive is for the first 12 years of his career, the league never averaged 100 points per game. That was never the league average for scoring. Since 1957, he played in every season where that was the case, except for one in 95-96, which was before he came into the league. So he played in, for most of the lowest scoring era in NBA history. You compare that to a guy like Jerry West, for the first 12 years of his career, the league never averaged below 110. Here's what I told you about before we got on, before we started recording, Logan. I did a deep number dive, and I, I was, because I was really going to put Jerry West above Kobe. I was. And of course, bag-wise, skill set-wise, no one from the 60s period can compare to Kobe Bryant. Almost no one ever can. The dude could do it out of the post. He is probably the prettiest fadeaway jumper of all time. Young Kobe was a freak athletically. Obviously, just that will to go at you again and again and again. And his his high-level scoring is probably top two on this list, maybe top three, him, Wilton, MJ, I would say, if you need a guy who you're going to bet on to go out there and get you 60-something. Obviously, his mentality is part of what makes him so exceptional there and part of why he has to be here. But the reason I thought about having Jerry West above him is comparatively era-wise, West's efficiency is on another level. Jerry West shooting 47% as a guard in the 60s is like shooting 54% as a guard right now or something. I mean, it's so far above league average, whereas Kobe, comparatively, has always been about average as far as efficiency. And yes, the skill set is otherworldly, but the reason that I ended up convincing myself that I should have Kobe above Jerry West, which probably isn't an argument I have to make to most people, is I, I took Kobe's averages from 2000 to 2013, and I adjusted them to league scoring averages from 1960 to 1973. So I took his 2000 season, and then I adjusted it to the 1960 season, and 2001 to 1961. His averages under that, 35.5 points per game, 31 38.5, 36.4, 28.5, 31.4, 42.37.6, 33.31, 31.4, 28.6, 31.9, 29.9. From his ages 23 to 34 season versus Jerry West, which is approximately their shared prime, Kobe averaged about 4.6 adjusted points per game more comparing each individual season, which for me was enough where I was like, all right, I'm not just letting my memory of Kobe and what we see in a highlight video, which is obviously almost unparalleled, get in the way of what actually happened. And of course, if you're going to throw a guy there who you want to go get you, as I've said, 60, or if you, if you want maybe the greatest difficult shot maker of all time, probably the greatest difficult shot maker of all time, you want Kobe Bryant. And another thing that I think, you know, obviously the efficiency is something that 
makes it so he's not an overwhelming like top three smash hit for me. But also you have to think about the degree of difficulty of the shots. And of course that happens with AI as well. Um, that's the thing with efficiency is part of it is how efficiently can you put the ball in the bucket? And if you have unstoppable moves, that's great. And that's ultimately to your credit, of course, with a guy like Shaq or a guy like Carl Malone who could just do the same things over and over again. But when you're doing it on double teams, when you're doing it off one leg, off balance from all these different angles over and over again, like Jamal Murray, one might say, uh, that deserves extra points. So Kobe gets, I mean, Kobe, um, my top seven was very clear for me. And then after that, it was a little bit, you know, I mean, actually Harden was pretty clear at eight too. And then the nine and 10 spots were difficult to fill. But really, this is more of a pro Jerry West thing than Kobe. I just think Jerry West is someone we don't talk about enough who was historically great in the biggest moments. But Logan, I'm sure you're furious with my placement of him. And you may be more furious with it in about one minute. But um, what are your thoughts on this? So you have Kobe at six. Yes. That doesn't make sense to me in the fact that I can't figure out who your fifth guy is. Because I know who is above the sixth spot for me. Uh-huh. I, I'm going to be really intrigued to figure out who this fifth man is. Um, I think you have Kobe obviously way too low. I think mm-hmm. you're undervaluing. I think you're undervaluing stre- streaks was a big thing for me. I wanted to see guys who could get hot and go on a run game mm-hmm. to game. Yeah. Uh, and Kobe streaks is what really put him. I'm going to, we're going to get to where I have Kobe on my list, but 16 straight 30 point games, nine straight yeah. 40 point games. He did that twice and four straight 50 point games. It's just something that you don't see in today's era. It's something that you wouldn't have seen from anybody outside of like MJ or Wilt. And then mm-hmm. uh, he had a per 36 season of over 30 points per game. He had, five different playoff years over 30 points per game. And of course his 81 point performance, he led playoffs and in scoring three times. I I just, wow. I'm that that hit me like a ton of bricks. I'm at a loss. It's all true. I just think that, you know, the, at the end of the day, scoring is not purely an aesthetic thing. And, um, and that to me is to the detriment of, I mean, you're right at his, at, at his highest level, he, was unstoppable as a score. The 35-point-per-game season in that era when teams are averaging 97 points per game is insane, absolutely insane. As I mentioned, it's the equivalent of 42 a game in, you know, in the same era for Jerry West or Elgin Baylor or Wilt, who were all playing around then. But the five versus six was a bit of a debate as well, but um, I'll get into that when I get there. So who's your number five? Uh, five and four were my two toughest to – to really go between mostly because we've seen a lot of head-to-head matchups between them. At number five, I have King LeBron James. And uh, anybody that has LeBron, you could put LeBron five to one. LeBron's scoring ability is criminally underrated because he is so good in every other aspect of basketball. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People, don't, people do not think of LeBron as a dominant scorer when he is literally a freight train. LeBron mm-hmm. is unstoppable going to the rack. If I want someone to score on the inside, I'm probably going with Braun. And statistically, LeBron, as an argument, holds up. Uh, league leader in points, if you want to knock that one out. Three-time league leader in playoff points per game. Uh, only two seasons over 30 points per game, but then another 13 over 25. Um, six times in the playoffs. And this is what did it for me and got LeBron so high on my list. Six Uh, playoff years over 30 points per game and then another seven over 25 Uh, LeBron obviously on a skill level compared to a guy like in my opinion Kobe uh, even Harden KD guys like that Um, he's obviously not as tremendous an outside shooter but 
that would be completely discrediting his inside game. LeBron is the most unstoppable finisher in the game. Yeah. I have LeBron at number five as well. And for me, it's really difficult to make an argument for Kobe over LeBron as a scorer that is rational and logically based. Because, of course, if you're picking someone to go get you 80, maybe you take Kobe. Um, and if you're talking about the more beautiful scorer, you definitely take Kobe. I mean, just the fact that he could do it out of the post like he could out of the mid-range. Obviously, it's on another level as far as being aesthetically pleasing. But LeBron has averaged 25-plus points per game for 16 straight seasons. He has consistently elevated his scoring in the playoffs. 29 a game on 49-33-74 splits. When he needs to, he can bulldoze people over and over and over again. I think of what we saw in the 2018 finals game one, where he just had 50 by abusing switches over and over again, killing little guys out of the post. We see him do that now with more regularity than before, where he'll just abuse you out of the post. He's added the step back three to his game as a sort of patented move that, yeah, he's not incredibly efficient on it, but it's also a way for him to get his own shot that you cannot affect late in games. And that's dangerous. And then of course it is the physical imposing it's the physical freak that is LeBron James. Young, as his younger self, he was faster than everyone else, and he was just a freak. Now he's stronger than everyone else. And if you look at the Heat version, he was a guy who was able to do it with the ball or in transition just as a weapon with or without it. He's one of the greatest transition scorers of all time. When he needs to be in the playoffs, he still manages to be such a great half-court scorer because uh, of the fact that he's a good enough shooter off the dribble that he can always kill you in that way if you let him. And Finals performances, he's one of the best. 28.2 a game on 47, 34, 74 shooting. In the 2016 finals, averaged 36 a game. And I know that people's instinct is probably to say the reason they would have Kobe over LeBron is it's easier for Kobe to take over a game as a scorer. And I guess that's true to a certain extent, but also, you know, if LeBron weren't the brilliant passer he was, I'm not sure that that would be the case because he is a guy who can go out there and get you 50 almost on command if he needs to. And it's easier for him to do it more efficiently because he doesn't have to make the kind of shots that Kobe had to make. He can just overpower you. He can dominate you. And he's been able to do that for so many years of his career. He can do it in transition. The man is on a different level efficiency-wise. He's a better volume scorer throughout his career. And his consistency is almost unparalleled. 16 straight with 25-plus points per game. No one else has ever done that. I couldn't have him higher because he doesn't have as high of a peak as a scorer as the guys that I have above him. Um, but uh, the man is utterly ridiculous there. Utterly ridiculous. So we agree on LeBron at five. Let's move on. Who do you have at number four? Uh, number four, I have Kevin Durant. And uh, I had a brief Durant versus LeBron debate uh, for a second just because, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a tough one. Kevin Durant's mm -hmm. a better outside shooter. LeBron is more dominant on the inside. But I went with KD because – statistically, the argument doesn't match up. Uh, Durant has led the league in points per game four times. He's led in playoff uh, points per game five times. Uh, two seasons over 30 and nine over 25. Uh, and then in the playoffs, it just comes right back. Two playoffs over 30 points per game and seven over 25. Uh, the argument that I think if you wanted to make a LeBron over KD argument in this instance would be uh, KD has never carried an offense in the playoffs the way that LeBron has. Uh, LeBron... In the finals against the Warriors, we've seen has had to uh, anchor uh, anchor the squad, and KD's always had people to rely on. Russell Westbrook, Harden, even if Harden was little dog back then, uh, and then guys like Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, he's had pieces four pieces around him, in my opinion. And yes, Le you, you know what I'm saying though. 
Um, Durant, purely as a scorer, is a better shooter of the basketball. They play in the same era, so it's a lot easier to compare. And maybe this is an instance in which if you wanted to go LeBron over KD, um, I would say that KD is so lackluster in other areas, defense, passing. He's not as dominant as LeBron. Maybe that's why people immediately go to KD as a better scorer. But if I want a guy who's going to get pure buckets, I'm going Kevin Durant over LeBron James, and that is what ultimately forced my hand. And uh, KD has had a streak of 12 straight 30-point games. LeBron's longest is 10. Yeah. For me personally, it would be really tough to make a LeBron over KD argument. The effortlessness with KD, which with KD can score, the versatility he has as a scorer, and the fact that he can do it on that volume as well, as consistently as he can, I have him even higher. My number four is Wilt Chamberlain. And obviously, he's just below Michael Jordan for the all-time lead in points per game at 30.1. He's the number seven scorer of all time as far as total points. Did it on 54% shooting over his career. Physically unstoppable and dominant like maybe no one ever, except maybe Shaq. But when you're talking about a guy who was 7-1, was the strongest player in the league, was the fastest player in the league, could jump higher than everyone else in the league. And then he also had that fadeaway, which he worked on over and over again. And coaches were mad at him for taking it at first because they were like, why don't you just put your back into people and shoot the hook over them every time? But, you know, Wilt was a pretty boy. And, and he ended up pulling that off. And it was a really highly effective move for him. He won the scoring title in his first seven seasons, scored incredibly efficiently throughout his career, nine-time leader in field goal percentage. Again, 54% from the field is more impressive back then than now just because people were so generally inefficient. And early Wilt was on another level. It's like nothing we've ever seen. Five and a half seasons with the Warriors, averaged 41.5 points per game, didn't dip below 36.9 in any in any individual season in that stretch, mostly on good teams, but he never made the finals. However, the reason I don't have Wilt higher, and I can't have him lower than this because his peak is like truly nothing we've ever seen before. Even when you consider pace inflation, the man averaged 50 points per game. And, and that is something that will never be touched again. Uh, and if you look at, you know, we, our mouths froth over James Harden averaging 34 a game right now, when we are back at pace that is for the first time comparable to that era scoring is still like seven points per game lower because it was so ridiculous in Wilt's 50 point per game season but sort of comparable the reason I don't have Wilt higher is when he started winning it was because he had to decrease his scoring starting with his first title never averaged 25 points per game his playoff career 22 and a half a game even in Philly he was seven a game below his regular season average his finals career 18.6 18.6 a game on 56% from the field. And that's not just talking about when he went to the Lakers and he had Jerry West and Gail Goodrich and initially Elgin Baylor there as well. Even if you look at the 66-67 Sixers, he's the fourth leading scorer on that team in the finals. He's, he's deferring to guys like Hal Greer and Chet Walker to go get buckets. And, you know, that's good for him. That's obviously a testament to him, to his ability to adjust. But I also think... When your value as a scorer is not what makes your team win titles, that's relevant. You know, when you're looking at a guy like KD, his scoring is absolutely needed for his teams to win titles. And I'm not going to discredit Wilt for shooting a bunch of times on those early teams because Lord knows they needed it. They needed him go, to go out there and score 50 or 40, and he could do it. But when I'm talking about the top three, those are guys who are at their best as scorers in the biggest spots, whereas Wilt isn't close to that. 22 and a half points per game in his playoff career – you kind of shrug at that. I mean, that's the lowest of anyone on this list. And that's also considering the, you know, the inflated scoring of that era. So for me, 
I, my top four was very clear from the start who I was going to have and Wilt ended up coming in, in last place out of that group. So let's move into the top three, Logan, who do you have at number three? I was going to say, uh, this works perfectly. Wilt is at number three for me. Um, I initially thought just looking at Wilt's numbers, the record books, Wilt was going to be number one. I asked my dad, I said, who do you think is number one? He said, I'll probably Wilt. And the number that made me immediately go, Wilt is not number one, is he led the league in scoring seven times. Mm -hmm. He led the playoffs in scoring once. And that's an issue. That's Mm -hmm. a major issue. If you're not doing it on the biggest stage, what does it even matter? Um, His resume, just from basketball reference, is stupid. Five of the top 10 scoring seasons of all time, uh, efficient, only under 50% from the field in two seasons of his entire career. And the streaks, I thought 65 straight games with 30 points. I was like, oh man, that seals the deal. There's nobody better than Wilt. Um, Two different 14 game streaks with 40 points. And in 1961, had seven straight games of 50 points. But Wilt didn't get it done in the playoffs. And that's really all that matters. Uh, Who do you got at three? My number three is Kareem who I was pretty surprised with your placement of him at number nine. That to me was too low. And this isn't because he's the number one scorer of all time. If that's how I was doing this list, then he would be number one on this list. The man averaged 24.6 a game on 56% shooting from the field, 72% from the field, 59.2% true shooting. And he played until he was 40 years old. He averaged 26 a game in the playoffs at 38. He averaged 19 a game in the playoffs for a title team at 39 Averaged 14 a game for a title team at 40. And I said earlier that I think that peak value is more important than longevity on this list, and that's true. But also the dude's peak, peak value is absolutely insane. 35 a game in 1972 could carry a team single-handedly like almost no one else in history. And when you combine the most unstoppable shot in basketball history what, with what at you know the beginning of his career, a 7-2 athletic freak like him – there had never been anything like him. And I think it's important to remember with Kareem, he was the best high school basketball player ever. Then he was the best college basketball player ever. And by the end of his NBA career, he was the best NBA player ever. And obviously most of that value, yes, the dude was a beast defensively. He was a brilliant shot blocker. He was obviously great, great on the boards, but it was his scoring. It was the fact that he could get a bucket whenever you needed it. You could throw it down to him in the post and he was going to score for you every time. And I think that's even more true of, of Kareem than a guy like Wilt because again Wilt on his best teams was never the first scoring option and so even though he could dominate games completely like that Kareem without without Kareem I mean who knows what Magic's career looks like obviously the dude is incredible but is he going to win five titles probably not and obviously he was able to make a finals without Kareem and The last couple, Kareem was not as important because Magic was just at his absolute peak, unstoppable levels. 86-87 Magic was what he did as a scorer. Ridiculous, one of the best seasons ever. But, you know, Kareem is what opened all of that up for him. I mentioned the 80 finals where he's averaging 34 a game. The dude was just, he was on another level. And he did it for so long that, uh, for me, he has to be up there in the top three. However... I feel pretty good about my top two as well. So let's move in. I think I know who you have at number two, but why don't you go ahead and share? Uh, I got Bean at two, and it really surprised me the way how low you had him. I just figured, I don't know, I've seen 20 years of basketball with my own eyes, and Kobe Bryant is the best scorer I've ever seen. That is the metric that 
put Kobe, mm-hmm. I initially put him at three because I thought he's going to be behind Wilt. And then mm-hmm. I looked at the numbers and there's just no guy outside of obviously who is number one. I'm assuming we're going to agree because it, it shouldn't be close with the yeah. numbers given Yeah, uh, that Kobe is the only thing close to, I don't know, Carson, you, you floored me. I cannot believe you had Kobe at five. Well, I had him at six, actually. You say that Kobe six, Bryant. That, <laughs> you say that Kobe Bryant is the best score you've ever seen with your eyes. I will tell you who the best score I've ever seen with my eyes is, and I'm going to get into my number two right now. It's Kevin Durant. He is the most effortless, complete, versatile scorer of all time. 27 a game on 49, 38, 88 splits, 61% true shooting a four-time scoring champ, 11 straight seasons at 25-plus. That's every year since his rookie year. Seven straight seasons right now. He's on shooting 50-plus percent from the field with the volume of threes that he takes. 29.1 points per game in the playoffs on 47.5, 35-86 splits. Five-time leader in playoff points per game. If you look at just last year in the playoffs, he was at 32-plus on 51, 44, 90 splits. In the finals over his career, 30.3 on 55, 45, 91. The 2017 finals, 35 a game on 56, 47, 93 splits. It is, to me, you mentioned how he's never had to carry a team like a Kobe or a LeBron in the playoffs. And that's probably true, but I don't think that detracts from his resume as a scorer because he absolutely could. I mean, one of the weird things with him is his career high is 54 points per game. But think about who he's had to share touches with throughout his career. Obviously, Russ and, and a blossoming James Harden early in his career. And now if you look at his time with the Warriors, Steph and Clay, and now he's going to be with the Nets and he's going to have to share that with Kyrie. I don't think that that's to his detriment though, because if you look at what he did in the 2017 finals, he went out there and he said, I'm by far the best scorer on the planet. It was not hard for him to go out there and get 35 a game against a championship caliber team in the Cleveland Cavaliers. It was not hard for him. It was easy. And Part of that is just the fact that he has that ridiculous shooting ability at 6'10", obviously, as a handle like we've never seen from a guy of his size. He has underrated athletic burst. The man can throw down some ferocious dunks, and he gets to the rim, you know, really at, uh, really consistently and obviously does not miss many free throws if he gets fouled once he gets there. To me, as far as complete all-around scorer, he's number one of all time. He doesn't have the same will to score or high-level end scoring that my number one has who I think anyone would be a fool to put above him and also he has the benefit of being in an era where three-point shooting is valued just in general we have more good three-point shooters now than ever before by far but KD has to be here for me when I compare him to Kobe if I'm taking out the romance of the legend of Kobe and if I'm taking out the mama mentality factor I don't think it's very close I don't think it's very close KD could do it at a higher volume more efficiently in the biggest spots in more ways. And that to me is, um, that's ridiculous. He's the best score I've ever seen with my own two eyes. I think you should also take out your implicit Golden State Warriors bias, Carson. Nope. I don't even like KD. I did not, I didn't like when KD came to the Warriors. I don't like KD's <laughs> personality. Like I really am not a, I do not have KD bias. If, if we could have never gotten KD, I think we would have gotten another one without him. And um, Cap. I, no, I don't think we need to go over the 2016 finals and how the Warriors were so clearly the better team in that series. And if everything didn't go wrong, everything went wrong. It still went down to the last minute of game seven. Um, but KD is like nothing I've ever seen before. LeBron doesn't compare to him, even with his physical will to overpower people. And yes, he can score at that high level. He doesn't compare because it's just so easy for KD. And that sort of 
you know, when I think about a guy like T-Mac, it's the effortless factor. It's, they just do it so easily. The difference is T-Mac looked like he was doing it easily, but he missed a lot of shots. KD really doesn't miss much. And um, he has to be here for me. Do you have anything else you would like to say about Kobe at number two? Uh, no, I, Carson, I appreciate your boldness on the KD pick. It took, it took Cojones uh, to make that call. Thank you. I mean, it just, to me, honestly, it's not that tough because I think that just because he hasn't been a guy who shoots as much as, as an Allen Iverson, you know, Allen Iverson averages like more than three more field goal attempts per game than KD and less points per game. Just because he hasn't been that kind of just because he hasn't had really a selfish attitude and that he's been willing to let the game come to him, especially in his warrior years. That doesn't take away from the fact that when he needs to, he will go out there and get you 40. Like it's that, I mean, what he did against the Clippers last year in the playoffs decimated them, absolutely decimated them. And um, even when he came back on a a bad calf had 11 points in you know, however many minutes in, in um, when he came back in game five of the finals. So the dude is just ridiculous to me. So, Let's go to number one, Logan. I think we both know who we have, but why don't you tell the people? I changed my opinion. Okay. If you think LeBron James is the greatest basketball player of all time, I do not respect your opinion whatsoever on basketball. The research that, I, that we did for Michael Jordan as the greatest scorer of all time, it's not close, and the numbers just run away with it. A 10-time league leader in points per game – also a 10-time league leader in playoff points per game. 1987, 37 points per game, fifth highest all-time. 1988, near 35 points per game, 10 highest all-time. And seven straight seasons from 87 to 93 of over 30 points per game. His per 36, or no, excuse me, that stat was wrong. His per 36 was like 36 and 87, not 44. But uh, four, eight seasons over 30 points per game, four other seasons of over 25 in his streaks, 11 straight 30-point game, uh, games, 9 straight 40-point games, and 3 straight 50. Michael Jordan is by far the greatest scorer of all time. If anyone holds another opinion, it is stupid. It is a bad take. Yeah, uh, this is far and away the easiest selection on this list. Career, 30.1 points per game. That's the most of all time on 50, 33, 83 and a half splits. And of course, that includes his 38 and 39-year-old seasons in Washington when he hadn't played for a few years, went out there, and was still able to get 20-plus a game. In his Bulls career, though, just taking out those last two years that realistically never should have happened, 31 and a half a game on 50.5, 33, 84 splits, 57% true shooting. If you're going to point to any, you know, you just have to understand that in the context, people weren't shooting threes like this. It was just harder to be efficient as far as advanced metrics go. And I mean, if people say things like LeBron's a better three-point shooter than Michael Jordan, it's like, really, do you think that would be the case if they valued threes back then? Of course not. Um, the man was unstoppable on a different level. He played 11, he played 20 plus games in just 11 seasons with the Chicago Bulls. I mean, that's important to remember. That's really how short Michael Jordan's career was. It was 11 years in which he did everything, in which he won the six titles, the six finals MVPs, the five MVPs, the defensive player of the year. But most crazily, the 10 scoring titles in 11 seasons. Because sorry if I'm not going to hold out, hold a year where he played 18 games and another one where he played 17 games against him. He's not eligible. And in his, you know, I mean, it's just so ridiculous. In his second real season, he averages 37 a game. His second ever postseason scores 49 and 63 in the first two games versus the 85-86 Celtics, universally regarded as a top five team of all time. He led 10 of his 13 career playoffs in points per game. In the finals, 33.6 a game on 48, 37, 81 splits. Averaged 31 plus points per game in five of his six finals. And 
when you look at what he was able to do on the high end, 92 and 93 finals, 36 points per game, and then 41 points per game. I think of what he did against the Phoenix Suns. I mean, that was pure decimation. And yes, it was a fun duel with Charles Barkley was going off as well, but I mean, he got 50 plus in that series. He averaged over 40 a game in a final series. What more can you want? He could do it in every in every way that was relevant at that time. He was the greatest guard ever at attacking downhill. He's the greatest at-rim finisher ever. He was comparatively the best athlete ever at that time uh, from the guard position. He was the best mid-range shooter of all time. There is not a thing that you could point to that he was not the best ever at when it comes to scoring the basketball. And that stands the test of time. And you cannot possibly have have so little objectivity that you think LeBron James is on the same level with Michael Jordan as a scorer. The per game stats don't support it. Uh, the skill set doesn't support it. Doing it in the biggest spots doesn't support it. LeBron is great. We both had him at number five on our list. There are levels to this though. And if you're not willing to concede that, then uh, you're a fool because Michael Jordan is unequivocally the greatest scorer of all time. Wilt doesn't compare. Kareem doesn't compare. KD doesn't compare. Kobe doesn't compare. LeBron doesn't compare. Whoever you want to put up there, it's MJ and everyone else is, is in the race for second. And you said it. They don't compare. The per 36 numbers for Jordan is another thing that sealed the deal. Five seasons of over 30 points per game per 36-wise because, you know, per 36 allows you to compare yeah. all kinds of players, all kinds of eras. Mm-hmm. No one else has over three. James Harden has three yeah. of them. I mean, yeah. like you said, levels. Yeah. No, there. I mean, there really are just levels to this, uh, and he could do it in every way. And um, you know, there's a reason that he's the goat. I'm gonna say the 11 seasons one more time. 11 seasons he won sent 10 scoring titles every year, but his rookie year. I mean, come on, man. And he still averaged 28 a game as a rookie, which you know you just didn't do at that time. So quickly, let's go through some honorable mentions. I know George Gervin was a really tough omission for me. My other one that was probably the toughest, Elgin Baylor who's a 27-plus point-per-game scorer throughout his career. Neither of us had him. Averaged 24-plus in 11 of his 12 real seasons. He had a three-year stretch when he averaged over 35 a game. He scored 60-plus four times, has the final single-game scoring record, has a 71-point performance, 27 points per game for his career in the playoffs. He had a four-year playoff stretch of averaging 36 a game, which includes two finals runs in that four-year stretch. But for me, it was just... You know, he doesn't compare to Jerry West, I would say. Jerry West was always better in the biggest spots, and Baylor was a different kind of athlete at that time around the rim, but his efficiency wasn't exceptional, and even for that era. And this was, again, you know, I mean, he played during the eight highest scoring seasons of all time, and I think that matters if you're just going to use points per game as a metric. So uh, he was a tough cut for me. Rick Barry was another tough cut just because if you look at him at the high end, four seasons at 30-plus points per game, including a 35.6 point-per-game season. Four of his six highest-scoring seasons came in the ABA. He dropped nine a game from his last ABA season to his next NBA one, which I do think is relevant. But then he came back up to 30 points per game in the NBA two seasons later um, and obviously is the all-time finals leading scorer in points per game. So he was a tough cut. AI, Steph Curry, just because of how he's weaponized the three-point shot and how easily he scored over 30 a game on 50, 45, 90 efficiency. That'll probably never happen again. T-Mac was another one I considered. Uh, and, you know, there's a bunch of – I mean, Dr. J is someone who could be on this list. Um, Akeem, again, not someone you think of first because scoring wasn't his greatest asset. But as far as post scores, he's probably the most polished and best ever out of there uh, as far as just, you know, variety of moves. It's either him or, again, Kevin McHale. So 
those were some tough cuts for me. Logan, who do you want to shout out? Uh, you ran down most of the guys I had on mine. Uh, I love Jerry Westoff, and mm-hmm. that was a tough cut. Uh, yeah. Rick Barry, Elgin Baylor, Steph Curry. Uh, I also had – I also looked over Bernard King. Um, I feel yeah. like Bernard uh, deserves a shout-out. Uh, Peak was brief, but it was – it had its its valleys. And, uh, yeah. and, and then I had Carmelo Anthony as well. Melo's never going to make a top-10 scorers list, but mm. damn, he was fun to watch. Yeah. Well, and just to shout out some guys in the Bernard King, mellow, more traditional, pure scorer uh, realm, you have to shout out Alex English and Adrian Dantley, who were guys who just throughout the 80s got buckets every single year. Alex English is the leading scorer of the 1980s. Adrian Dantley had four straight years where he was averaging 30-plus a game. And those are two guys who obviously are not in this realm as all-time players. But as pure scorers, you know, you have to at least – consider i mean adrian danley averaged 24 a game now he wasn't a great guy to have on your team and i think you know i mean there's a reason that the pistons won the title once they got rid of him but absolutely a beast as a scorer uh so that's gonna do it for us here today this was a fun one it was definitely a difficult one to work all the way through had to leave some tough people off and had to make some tough decisions but it's fun at the end of the day so that's gonna do it i've been carson brabber i have been logan camden and this was Nerd Set. What? Charles Darwin.